0: Getting change, the podcast from Tybalt Education. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here in Seattle, sitting next to the great Howard Tybal Two how are, podcasts, right face around. to face. I love that we're just grabbing time. There's just, let's just do it. It's just there's meetings, and yeah. then there's podcasting, and that's how that's our that's, existence. That's life. That is life. And today, because let's just say, because we're in Seattle. Ooh,
1: good, huh? good, good pitch, good, good transition. We
0: are, we are inspired. Ladies and gentlemen, we're inspired we're, yes. by the great, the great uh, benefactor Jeff Bezos of Amazon.com, and we're going to be talking a little bit about some of uh, some of the nuances of the his leadership. The
1: relationship between that and higher ed. Now, where are we going today? I, I
0: can't wait. Before we get started, head over to Tybalink.com to learn more about our work in education, and maybe you'll find out why Howard is in Washington. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, and we'll let you know each time a new episode is released. We would love to see you there. Okay, Howard. What is day one?
1: Well, let's back up.
0: Is that too fast? Did I move too fast? fast, I'm trying to channel the my inner Bezos.
1: So I was, (laughs) I was, uh, I was given the 2016 letter to shareholders document that Jeff Bezos had written. I'm going to read just three short paragraphs that tells a very succinct, easy to absorb idea about the difference between day one and day two. And one thing you should know, if you haven't investigated this, is that his building is named day one. When he moved buildings, he moved the name of the building to the other building, because his building is day one. So he was asked, what is day two? So this is what he says. Day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating painful decline, followed by death. And that is why it is always day one. To be sure, this kind of decline would happen in extremely slow motion. An established company might harvest day two for decades, but the final result would still come. I'm interested in the question, how do you fend off day two? What are the techniques and tactics? How do you keep the vitality of day one even inside a large organization? What else can you say? that's amazing
0: that's a it's a big question I'm curious how you how you pivot that into a connection to higher ed which (laughs) (laughs) seriously I I laugh because inside I'm crying
1: I read this yesterday to a group and I said day two is stasis followed by irrelevance followed by excruciating painful decline followed by death and I'm looking at this group saying where is higher ed? Is higher ed in day one or day two? I was with a, a, a company that was investigating this, and the owner said, we're in day two, yeah. in front of his senior team. Uh. Think about the power of acknowledging that. I think most people want to believe they haven't made that, that turn.
0: From uh, day one to day two.
1: Right. And I would suggest that this is a question we need to start asking. Not like we have an entire answer for it, but to be more candid about what's really going on. In my work with institutions, internally, you could imagine this is not a conversation people would want to have like that.
0: No, certainly not in their own teams or with their managers, like that that, no. that sends a signal you maybe don't it want to send. It sends
1: a signal. What yeah. it does, we talked about this last episode, It has the potential to create a certain kind of mood. Yes. Like, why should I bother? Resignation. Resignation. And because we don't know what to do with when that shows up, we avoid the conversation. Mm -hmm. But this question of relevancy versus irrelevancy is an important one for education to be looking at. In what way are we continuing to be relevant and are we falling into irrelevancy? This is a conversation
0: that some people are blind to and don't want to be part of. And and I imagine there's there's another piece to that too, that just given the way higher ed careers work uh, there are a number of people in the population who exist in a space of day two and don't know it because they've never known any other experience. Mm. They were not around for the pivot or the pivot was so long ago that they are, are numb to it. Yes. Right? There is no other experience. I yes. don't know what it's like to live in a world where I'm not experiencing this kind of anxiety. What is that? Well, this is a thing about the courageousness mm-hmm. of, of saying
1: that I declare, he's declaring, we're Mm -hmm. in day one. Yeah. And
0: how do we fend off day two? And I think that's a a great question. The one I want to get to with your experience with this group yesterday, because I imagine that this is one of those conversations that is so difficult to have internally that this really highlights the power of an external observer, to come in and present a discussion that's worth having without the baggage of internality.
1: But what I can so so yesterday I did have that conversation but I can tell you there was a bit of a shock in
0: people to even figure out how to be in that conversation. What is it that they take back that gives them courage to have conversations that they wouldn't have and, and what would your expectation be that they go back to their teams and share. Okay, let's I, I'll
1: keep it really simple. People should take this letter.
0: It's short. It's not a it's long letter. Very It's very short. Pages.
1: It tells some really interesting more details about what are some of the things he's doing to fend off day two. And I love, he talks about these as starter packs, a starter pack of essential day one defenses.
0: Oh, I like that. So, what what are the, can you run through the defenses without going into too much detail? What is about customer obsession?
1: Duh, right? Student obsession. Right. A skeptical view of proxies. And in this case, what he's talking about is that, in, in the way it shows up in higher ed, is we have processes so that we can get the work done more effectively. But very often, processes can, be, can become the thing. When you ask people why are you doing something, they would say, because we've always done it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two others are, and this is absolutely Amazon, the eager adoption of external trends and finally high velocity decision making. Okay, so let's talk about the trends
0: piece. How does that uh, how does that translate to Well, high see, rate?
1: that's interesting because I think the external trends, which include the different ways people can get education through technology, through mm-hmm. online, through the fact that most of the knowledge exists now in our cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that a discipline changes every four years. So uh, a four-year, you come in as a freshman, you're a student in biology engineering. Four years later, there's whole new things to learn. Right, so it's the half-life
0: prof- of facts that we've That's talked right, about. That's right, the
1: half-life of facts. So so, how are we paying attention to those external trends and instead of being threatened by them, that we start opening conversations? Uh I would not claim, and I don't think there's anybody that can claim they have an answer to this. Mm -hmm. I have been perplexed over the last three, four years, the overwhelming amount of information that is being shared about the problems facing higher education, and the lack of ways of engaging in that conversation in a productive way. It's mostly here is what's coming, and sometimes answers, but to me the answer is not the point. We need to find a way to get leaders to engage in conversation together and have something emerge from that, Mm -hmm. as opposed to someone like me or anybody. There's lots of books written about this to fix the problem. That's part of the mistake, is thinking that we can fix the problem. We need to get people engaged in conversations to explore this, And on on my best days in my work, that's what's happening, is that other people are revealing something and they're realizing, you know what? What if we try this? What if we experiment with this? What if we bring, what if we pilot this, right? So there are things you can be doing that require risk-taking and courage. And you asked me earlier, you know, what do you do with this? If you don't have the willingness to take risks, you don't have the willingness to have courage, you're not gonna move the needle. An example for me of an institution that's doing this is Plymouth State University. How How so? They're in a part of New Hampshire that's not a growing population. They are in a rural community that, but have a tremendous offering for that region. And the president came in with support from the board And said, if we don't turn this around in X number of years, we're at risk of being insolvent. This is written about in Inside Higher Education. They are taking that reality that, by the way, other schools have but are not acknowledging. And they are structurally saying, we are going to disband the traditional structures of our three colleges, of our traditional academic industri- administrative departments and we're going to move to a what's called a cluster model where things like arts and technology, exploration and discovery, health and human enrichment, innovation and entrepreneurship, justice and security. They have seven clusters that they're going to build academic programs around. They're going to create an open lab environment for students to navigate through these clusters And then they're going to partner with the local business communities to be able to be able to position these business communities to come in and contribute and for students to contribute out. This is a bold move.
0: It, it's a rather astonishing and sort of incredible move that actually leads me right to the last point. I don't want to close up this conversation without a conversation about, uh, without asking you about this high velocity decision making. It yeah. seems like to be bold, you have to be able to face this lack of momentum or inertia that tends to exist in day two campuses, right? Yeah. So what does that look like? How does this translate from the Bezos uh, shareholder letter to higher ed? It seems like Plymouth State is an example. Well, this does not. So let's not
1: kid ourselves that this is not an easy transition. Right. You're asking, you're asking faculty administrators to trust that they can operate in a new model. In an efficient way, where students are, you know, they keep, students keep coming. So the courageousness is 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 asking people to step into a level of uncertainty. This is another area of weakness in education, because we have a consensus model, where everybody needs to be happy all the time. Nobody can get pissed off. Mm-hmm. We we can't upset certain governance bodies. We have to make sure we navigate that properly so we don't find
0: ourselves, you know, called to the mat. Which is ironic because really in higher ed, somebody's always pissed off.
1: <laughs> but this this idea that, that he talks about, uh, Bisos, he, he talks about this idea of disagree and commit. Mm-hmm. Because he recognizes that, and I love this line, is that, Most decisions should probably be made with somewhere around 70% of the information you wish you had. If you wait for 90%, you're probably being too slow. You need to be good at quickly recognizing and correcting bad decisions. If you're good at course correction, being wrong may be less costly than you think, whereas being slow is going to be expensive for sure. And he uses this model of disagree and commit, which is another brilliant simple idea. I mean, so, the, and the anecdote is, mm-hmm. they have all this new content, you know, the, Amazon generated content, the movies a, they a do. A ton of it. Right? right. They're
0: investing a ton.
1: And he was telling an anecdote about his senior team coming to him with a pitch for a movie of or, or sort of new content. And he told them he, he completely disagrees with it, I th- he goes, I don't, and he gave why he doesn't think it's going to work, and they thought it was a good idea, and he disagreed, and they committed. And they got to make the product. And they're whatever, doing The it. project, yeah. Now. In most situations, it's obvious if the senior leader disagrees, it doesn't happen. Yeah. But it's even, it's even worse than that. If one person on the team disagrees, the leader won't commit. Right. So the message here for a president or a chancellor or a vice president or anybody who has an authority position is have the courage to move forward in the face of people on your team disagreeing. You can't. You can't. And
0: vice versa, right? The, the vice, vice the, the converse is also true, right? And that's that's, I think, the lesson for me that I'm hearing out of this, which is so fascinating, that. That through this example, this anecdote, we have separated ego from the conversation. We have celebrated the fact that we've hired brilliant people to do their jobs well. Exactly. And we have said, even though I may not get it, that's right. Even though it's not funny or smart or whatever to me, yeah. does not mean that I am the end-all, be-all connectivity yeah. to our audience. Perfect. And that's what I hire right. you team to do. So even though I don't get it, we're gonna go ahead and do it. That's brilliant, and it removes judgment from those with whom he disagrees, right? Exactly. And that's a thing we fear, that as soon as we come up with an idea that senior leadership doesn't like, that the board doesn't like, that the president doesn't like, that's right. that they're gonna come back and say, that was a terrible idea, and now, even though you're not on formal suspension, I don't trust you anymore, or I don't like you as much, or reputation has suffered, right? I mean, all of that has gone away in this example.
1: My sense from reading this and thinking about this is what they, uh, the, the culture they have there is they're focused on action. Yeah. Education is focused on process and discussion. Yeah. And it's only when the S hits the fan do people get action oriented. It's almost like an emergency room. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, people will line up. Often, it's focused on putting their head down. But the opportunity here as a leader is to really step into this idea of how do we focus on action? How do we allow for dissent, dissent meaning disagreement, and still move forward? This, The seeds of being an effective day one organization lives in this letter.
0: I am I am making a note. I have picked up my pen to make a note because I feel like there's another conversation here how does a day one organization higher ed institution uh, mitigate this discussion of focus on action to outcomes and assessment and I think there's a I think there's a gap yeah. yeah, and, and we should, bring somebody, we should bring somebody into this conversation with us who's focused on assessment. Yeah, because th- this, I think, is is a paralytic in some institutions. That's great. Yes. Okay. I love it. Hey, this is fantastic. So we're going to post this letter. We will post a PDF of the letter. We, we can't do Are this we Are we going to do this? We're going to do this. <laughs> now, we, now we fist bump. Uh, we're going to post this letter in the show notes. Swipe over in the show notes. You will see it. Just tap on it. We'll give you a, a PDF or a link to where it is on the Amazon site. Uh, it, it is absolutely worth reading. It'll take you five minutes, tops. It's worth it. Read Uh, it multiple times, as I've been told. Maybe eight minutes, ten, ten, maybe. All right, that's it. Howard, great to see you. Great to see you.
1: Let's go have lunch.
0: Let's do it. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. And we will catch you next time right here on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tidal Education.